Whoever is listening, however you're listening, welcome back. My name is Grayson Mann. This is the Man with the Plan podcast, episode 37. Guys, today, thank you so much. I hope you guys are having a fantastic day. If you're listening now or listening later, anything helps. You guys are fantastic. Your support means the world. We're on iHeartRadio, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We hope that we're there. Guys, today we're going to talk about a variety of things. We're going to go over the weekend of the NBA. Great, great weekend of basketball. Game 7s, legacies on the line, all great stuff. We're going to go over this 24-7 sports article that I found. The top 10 most defining, or season-defining, college football games. What I agreed with and what I disagreed with. And then we're just going to do another list because I like them. Top 5 NFL QBs with the most to prove. And then next podcast you will see a top 5 list with the coaches who have the most to prove this year. Got to fill some stuff. Got to fill some time. So let's map out this week and next week, just so you guys are aware. Next week, I am going to be gone all week because we're doing a big family vacation. That leave date is unknown, but I'm going to have four podcasts made this week, two for this week, and then two for next week. Two, The two next week aren't going to be anything defining or current with what's going on. They're just going to be breakdowns, so if you're a breakdown kind of guy, those podcasts will be for you. And then this week, we'll keep up with what's relevant, and then I'll continue to find bits and pieces of knowledge or articles or anything that you guys are interested in. Really, you got to let me know what you guys want. You guys are usually good about that, though, and keeping things relevant. So today, we're going to start with the NBA weekend. What a week of basketball. Game 7. So usually, the two best words in every sport or game seven, and whether that's baseball, hockey, basketball, it's unique with basketball game seven. You finally get to that point where it's the sense of urgency. It's where everything's on the line because you could lose game one, game two, game three, and then win four straight. Or if you're Cleveland, you'll wait for game five to make things happen in the finals. So game seven, it was the Nets and the Bucks. It was game one of the Western Conference finals with the Suns and the Clippers without Kawhi or Paul George, Kawhi or Chris Paul. And then you had Game 7 last night with the Hawks and the 76ers. Trey Young versus Joel Embiid. The process versus the Young Gun. And I just want to give quick thoughts. Game 7 with the Nets and the Bucks. KD was again fantastic. Another 40-point game. Played every single minute, every minute of overtime too. That is insane. Overtime, it was about 54 minutes of basketball that Kevin Durant had to play. That's tough. I can't even play a pickup game without him being tired. And I've got a fun nickname for that. So if you guys want pickup experience or just like how not to suck a pickup basketball just come to the gym and you just watch me play Giannis and company prevailed Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton stepped up I think what was so important for Giannis this game was that he needed his supporting cast to step up he needed Mike Budenholzer to not like drop a nail in his head or a hammer because a lot of people don't really like his style of coaching they think that his offense is flawed for me, I just had fun. What I take away from Game 7s is that, am I going to have fun or am I going to watch a blowout? And luckily, we got two fantastic games. For the Nets, KD was a shoe size away from hitting that absolutely unreal shot. It stinks for Brooklyn because they had an experiment, and it clearly worked when they were on the floor. It's just they never got to get together. And whether the superstar cast that KD eventually had around him is flawed... And they need more bench depth because I thought for Brooklyn, if somebody like Jeff Green dropped 27 again, Milwaukee didn't stand a chance because Kevin Durant alone will get you the points you need to get you at least within distance to win. Harden was fine. He's hurt and he's not himself. So that was pretty relevant. 
I think if the Sixers and the Nets played each other, it would have been a battle of like the senior home where they're both like got canes and they're smacking each other with it. It just wouldn't have been a fun series. The series that we got for each side are fantastic. Somebody is going to be getting a ring. Somebody's legacy is going to be changed. That's going to be fun. Let's flip to the Hawks and the Sixers. God. This It was a weird game because you expected things to play out and then certain things played out that you didn't really see coming because Kevin Herter for the Hawks dropped 25. Ben Simmons, as usual, was not really good. Trey Young was bailed out tonight. I think he was like 3 for 20 at one point. It was bad, but the game was so close. You were saying if Trey Young hits one or two shots, they're going to win this game. I really want to just focus on Ben Simmons. What has happened? Because I remember two, three years ago, Ben Simmons was a force. He could shoot well. Not not the three-pointers, but he was good and he was reliable at the free throw line. Is it Doc Rivers? Is it the scheme? It feels like Ben Simmons' confidence is just at an all-time low. There's a key pivotal moment in the game. It's tied at 88. Ben Simmons has the ball. He could easily dunk. This, kid is, this guy is 6'11". And even if he gets fouled with that momentum, that energy of him overcoming so much and getting that and one dunk that could have easily won them the game he passes the ball to Tobias Harris for no reason and Tobias Harris misses the shot Hawk score I don't think I think Philly never led again never was tied again it was just I was sitting there like why aren't you driving I don't want to like couch quarterback it because I have no idea how the NBA offenses work but when I'm right by the rim and I have an opportunity to shoot a wide open shot I'm going to take it despite whether my free throw shooting is to be questioned. I think Ben Simmons cost them the game tonight. I think his lack of will to step up when it mattered the most is what killed Philly in these situations. Joel Embiid was fine. He was able to overcome this meniscus tear. However significant was it, I don't know. I saw his post last night. I was like, sorry to disappoint you again. Does Philly blow it up? Do they at least try to trade Ben Simmons and get some value out of him? I think Philly would have benefited from getting Chris Paul. I think a lot of teams would have benefited from getting Chris Paul. Getting that scoring point guard who can get the guys in the right spots and put Simmons at like a three or a four and really utilize his size and his ability to stretch out the court, if that makes any sense. But really, I'm excited for the Hawks and the Bucks. I think my finals prediction, as I promised you guys, I think that the Hawks and the Bucks are going to go six. It's going to be Milwaukee. In the East, and I think in the West, it'll be Phoenix coming out in six as well. I think Chris Paul will come back eventually. I think LA gets a couple games with their talent, but I think it'll be a Suns-Bucks final, and we'll talk about that when it comes, see if I'm right. So 24-7 Sports came out with an article a couple days ago. I'm not sure when the exact date is, but it defined their article as the top 10 games with the most season-defining games, like how their games that they put out there are going to change the season. And for me, college football is getting closer and closer by the day. What does it mean to be season-defining in a playoff where we're still restricted by four teams? How does things change? How do conferences get impacted? I think that their list is good. It's not great. There's some things that I disagree with and some things that I agree with. I will list you guys their top ten, and then we're going to go through mine, why it's there, and then we're going to mention a couple games that they might have missed. So let's start with their top ten. So... They go in order from 10 to 1. It goes at the 10, so it's the least season-defining game of their 10. Miami versus Alabama in the season opener. Florida versus LSU. Cincinnati versus Notre Dame at 8. At 7, Florida versus Georgia. 6, Penn State at Ohio State. 
Number five is UNC at Notre Dame. Number four is Oregon versus Ohio State. Three is Iowa State versus Oklahoma. Two is Alabama at A&M. And then number one is the Charlotte kickoff game, Clemson versus Georgia. So a lot of good games. And at face value, you really take that as, wow, there's a lot of big names in there. So what I decided to do is I wanted to revise a list, and I wanted to go through it and see what I agree with. And I'm going to mention a couple honorable like honorable mention games. Number The two honorable mention games that stuck out to me that they miss, the Iron Bowl. Obviously, if Brian... If this new Auburn coach can take Auburn to this next level, Bo Nix, they'll be really a good contender for the SEC West. Iron Bowl is always a big game because you could knock Alabama out of the playoff with a bad loss. It's always a game that's going to have high stakes. Auburn at Penn State, too. Two Auburn games that they're missing out on. I think that Penn State is an interesting team this year because COVID, they got wiped out. And now they're going to be looking for, I guess, where they were before, which was a playoff team that was hunting for that fourth spot. Can they overthrow Ohio State? Can they dethrone them in the Big Ten? I don't know, but those are two games that caught my eye. So in my revised list at number 10, I do agree that Miami-Florida is the least significant of these 10. I think that it's more of a formality. It's this interconference battle or out-of-conference battle. I think Miami's energy will be super high in the first quarter, but I think Bama in the end is probably going to blow them out, blow them out of Atlanta. It'll be fun. And if Bama were to lose to Miami, it would do it would go crazy for playoffs. I don't know if they're judging this based on the what if or just how looking at the game at face value, but that's what I have at ten. So at nine in my revised list, I have Florida versus LSU. I think I agree with this too. It's a significant game. It could de- determine SEC West positioning. Maybe a New Year's Six bowl. LSU, I don't really see them as a New Year's Six team. I think Florida is a still better roster than LSU at this time. What does Emory Jones do at QB? How do they replace Kyle Pitts? And how do they replace Kyle Trask? We'll probably be able to see this because Florida LSU usually is played later in the season. That has a number nine. And so I flipped their Cincinnati Notre Dame at number eight and put in my list Penn State, Ohio, Penn State and Ohio State. All I really know about this game for me is trap game because I think Ohio State's, they're rebuilding their roster from Justin Fields. But at the same time, it's like Clemson and Alabama. They lose a five-star, they gain a five-star. They lose an NFL player, they gain an NFL player. Does Penn State have that kind of production? Or is it another 2016 game that are they hoping for? It's in Ohio State, so part of me is wondering why this is on the list. This could be a blowout. Penn State's always played Ohio State well, but it's just not the same roster. At seven, I do agree with their Florida-Georgia pick. I think Georgia's going to have the upper hand this game. JT Daniels, they're going to have a really great QB who's probably going to be one of the top-tier QBs for this NFL draft class. Florida with their roster, how do they mold? It's going to be later in the year. Emory Jones versus JT Daniels could decide who plays Bama in the SEC championship. So at 6, this is where we start to differ. They had Penn State, Ohio State, and now I have Iowa State and Oklahoma. This is going to be the marquee Big 12 matchup besides Oklahoma-Texas. I think Iowa State, this is the game to prove whether they belong in the Big 12, Big Dogs League with Oklahoma and really see if they belong in the playoff conversation. For me, this is Iowa State's playoff conversation game. At number five, we have Oregon and Ohio State. Their list, it has UNC and Notre Dame. I see Oregon and Ohio State as the out-of-conference battle. The Pac-12's key representative in all of this is going to be Oregon. And can they take down a forming roster at Ohio State? It's going to be early on in the season. Can they catch Ohio State when they're trying to figure out who they are as a team without Justin Fields? 
at number four, they have Oregon, Ohio State. We have Bama A&M. To me, this is the game where A&M tries to prove himself. Jimbo Fisher has his feet set in the SEC coming off a strong Orange Bowl win. Kellen Mond, that chapter is closed. Can Texas A&M form a new identity behind their amazing running back, Isaiah Spiller? Bama's going to have weapons. Bryce Young, can they replace the production of Alabama's key wide receivers like Devonta Smith, Jalen Waddell? Mac Jones is leaving, so it, a lot of these teams are forming something new with their rosters, and I think that's why it's so significant that AM could catch Bama early, and it's an AM, so it's going to be a tough fight. At number three, I have Cincinnati-Notre Dame. This is going to be huge because this is your two playoff teams or potential playoff teams that really not many people respect, and so you get one out of the way. Cincinnati-Notre Dame, the loser of this is not going to make the playoffs because to Notre Dame, a loss to Cincinnati is going to look disastrous, and to Cincinnati... Any loss is disastrous. Notre Dame's got a strong enough schedule to maybe sneak in at four with a 12 and run record. But I think for Cincinnati, this game is the biggest game of the program besides that game against Georgia. But with that game against Georgia, there were a lot of players out. They opted out. So we got to see what Cincinnati's worth, what they're made of in this game. At number two, they had Bama AM. I have UNC Notre Dame. I think this decides for UNC if they're a part of that big pack. Because let's say Notre Dame's undefeated, UNC with Mac Brown, Sam Howell, they're going to be looking to build upon a really strong season, be the team that challenges Clemson in the ACC. Notre Dame's no longer there as that top guy to challenge Clemson. So we're going to see how does UNC react to this? How does Sam Howell play in his junior campaign? Is it a Heisman campaign? Is it a number one, number one overall pick campaign? There's a lot of things to determine and a lot of things to figure out. That game's going to be significant because it determines UNC's playoff hopes. And I agree, obviously, number one is going to be Clemson, Georgia. This is going to be the biggest game of week one, biggest game for Clemson. Obviously, if you lose to Georgia week one, it's going to be looking up. It's going to be really tough. You're going to be already in a big hole because the ACC is not as strong as it used to be. You're not playing a Notre Dame this year or North Carolina to boost your, your schedule and your resume. You're going to be hoping that some of these lower tier ACC teams can pick up the pace I think Clemson-Georgia is going to be significant too for Georgia because it's another big game that Georgia needs to win. Kirby Smart's going to start to feel the pressure if they start the season 0-1. So guys, when we return, we're going to talk about my top five NFL QBs with the most to prove and wrap it up there. This was the Monday edition of the Mammoth Plan Podcast. Wherever you're listening, however you're listening, thank you so much. We'll be right back. All right, and we are back, guys. This is episode 37 of the Mammoth Plan podcast. If you have listened up to here, you've heard, or if you want to skip back, NBA Game 7s, the finals picks, and my analysis of what happened this weekend, and 24-7 sports, top 10 season-defining games in college football. We talked about it, what I agreed and what I disagreed with. Now we are going to get into the top five NFL QBs with most approved. Next week, we will be doing the top ten, top five NFL head coaches with the most to prove, and who could be on the hot seat. So we're going to start with number five, Sam Darnold. So Sam Darnold was traded to the Carolina Panthers this year, and I feel like for him, he's never really fit in with the New York Jets roster. It's been him with the mono or the injuries or Adam Gase. It feels like Sam Darnold's never gotten a fair shot in the NFL. Never really got the chance to get his feet wet, 
Sure, he's played a couple seasons, but it's always been within the dysfunction of the Jets. He gets a chance to go to Carolina, a nice franchise. Christian McCaffrey, Robbie Anderson, DJ Moore. He'll get his weapons. He'll get a new head coach. He'll get a bright young defense that's improving each season. Sam Darnold, if he can put it all together, Carolina could be a force and a challenger within the NFC. At number four, we have Baker Mayfield. And I know you're going to say, didn't Baker Mayfield take his team to the divisional round? We got two playoff QBs that just recently had playoff success last year in this list. If you can guess it, comment it below before you skip ahead because that's cheating. Baker Mayfield is one of controversy because everyone says he's not worth the number one pick. He's next Johnny Manziel, but he was able to put it all together and take the Browns to the playoffs this year, dismantling the Pittsburgh Steelers and almost dethroning the Super Bowl runner-up in Kansas City. So for me, it's Baker Mayfield's contract year, and they've improved a lot. They've had a fantastic offseason. They've improved a lot on defense. This is the year for them to put it all together as a team, be more complete than ever, run the football well. Baker Mayfield has to step it up with the team. If he's able to progress with Cleveland, then Cleveland's going to be a real chance for Super Bowl contender. If he like regresses, Cleveland takes another step back. Baker Mayfield has a lot to prove this season because he, along with the team, is going to be continuing to have that underdog status, that underdog Cleveland mentality. Can they put it all together and make a Super Bowl run? At number three, I have Jimmy Garoppolo. Now, you're going to say usually Super Bowl QBs don't have a lot to prove, but Jimmy Garoppolo was one missed throw away from being a Super Bowl champion. I talked about domino effects with my dad and my brother. What if Jimmy Garoppolo had made that throw? Maybe Trey Lance isn't drafted to the 49ers. Maybe a lot of things don't happen. Jimmy Garoppolo this year has got a lot to prove because he's on the way out of San Francisco. They've drafted his replacement in Trey Lance. Thinking that Trey Lance is going to be a San Francisco 49ers QB and year two is realistic, Jimmy Garoppolo next year as a 49ers QB is not. I think Jimmy Garoppolo is looking to boost his trade value to a new team, get a new contract. I think Kyle Shanahan has done him wonders with this offense. I think Kyle Shanahan has a lot of respect for him. I think Garoppolo this year not only has to prove to himself he can stay healthy for 17 games, he has to prove to the league, be a trade partners, who's going to need a QB next year. Maybe Houston, maybe Miami with Tua, maybe New England's thing fails. You never know where Jimmy Garoppolo will end up, but he needs to be able to prove himself this year as a top-tier QB that led San Francisco to a Super Bowl. Number two, Lamar Jackson. You're going to tell me again, another divisional QB playoff, another quarterback in the divisional round? But Lamar Jackson's different. I feel like Lamar Jackson, his entire career, has been under scrutiny for how he throws, his mechanics, his game. I think for Lamar Jackson, it's not a say he stinks. It's a prove it. Because I think for him, the Ravens have always been, if Lamar Jackson's on, they're on. If he's off, they're way off. And I think for Lamar, it's all about not that next contract, but getting the Ravens back to the Super Bowl. And can his style of play work in the NFL? I say yes, because I think Lamar Jackson's a really hard worker. I think he knows what he's doing. I think that his throwing mechanics have progressed very much. I think that legendary game where he had to either the cramps or he had to go to the bathroom, came back and threw an excellent pass to I think Mark Andrews or Marquise Brown to get that touchdown to beat the Browns that probably got them that division title. It, it's close to that division title because Pittsburgh ended up winning it. The AFC North is going to be loaded this year, so not only does Lamar Jackson have to prove himself as the best QB in the AFC North, he has to prove himself with the entire league. Everybody's improving. Everyone's saying his style of game isn't worth a first-round draft pick. This is going to be Lamar's prove-it season, not only for a new contract, but for Baltimore. At number one, Jameis Winston. You're going to say a QB who had a year off 
as the Saints backup, I think Jameis has a lot to prove here. Not only can he be an efficient QB when he's not throwing the football to the other team, I think that Jameis Winston's skill set always worked, but he was always erratic with the football. He was always a guy who didn't really, he never really felt to me as confident. I think every time something pan, something happened, he panicked, pocket broke down, it was an interception. I think Jameis Winston under Sean Payton is going to be very interesting. And Jameis not only has to prove himself as the number one pick, he can't fall under this class of busts as QBs who didn't make it in the NFL. He's had a successful career. He had his best career statistically if you take out the interceptions. I say if Tampa Bay had, if they had half those picks, I think Tampa Bay would have been a playoff team that year. I think Jameis Winston is a great QB. He's had a lot of controversy in his career. But if he can overcome this hump with this new team, maybe challenge Tampa Bay because all New Orleans needs is that good QB that can throw the ball well, make good decisions, and they'll be able to challenge a lot of teams in the NFL. There's a Super Bowl roster in there. Can Jameis Winston prove himself to the league and make it happen? All right, guys, that was our very short segment of our top five QBs in the NFL, and that wraps up today's episode of the Man with the Plan podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed as much as I did. Subscribe for more. Leave a five-star review if you enjoyed what you listened to. Spread this podcast. Share the word. Guys, thank you so much for the overwhelming support. Y'all mean the world to me. Thank you again. Have a fantastic week. And as always... Take care.